truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Thanks for tuning in here today, live and on demand on The Blaze. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here alongside Riding Shotgun. And if you'd like to ride along too, 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. Let us know what you think about what we think as well. Via the stevedace.com inbox. Last name is D-E-A-C-E. For those of you listening today via Blaze Radio or the podcast. And if you are, thank you. Uh, Feel free to leave us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice, if you don't mind. Email us, steve at stevedace.com. Find us on Facebook. Uh, Click like 17 times because maybe then one of them will show up that you liked us. Uh, And then you can also follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up a little bit later on, three non-political questions. We're going to conclude our study of the book of Colossians today on Theology Thursday. Uh, A truth bomb coming your way a little bit later on as well. But uh, one of the cool things about getting to do this show is supporting worthwhile causes. And one of the most worthwhile causes of them all is taking the Word of God to what are called closed countries. These are countries that have closed their people off to the Scriptures because they don't want them uh, to be inspired to throw off the tyranny of their own sin because then they have a tendency to decide they don't want to be oppressed by the sin of others at the same time. And so whether it's communist China or Somalia, where we get our congresswomen from nowadays, by the way, uh, whether it's Iran, North Korea, these are what are called closed countries. And our friends at Back to Jerusalem, uh, their mission is to take the Bible to every closed country between Jerusalem and communist China. And the way that they have uh, endeavored to do so is they've put the Bible in an electronic form about the size of a pill. Uh, You know, it can be downloaded by the people from there, but it makes it easier to sneak it past the gatekeepers in these closed countries, but they need our help to send thousands of these uh, all over the world. $15 is what they're asking from each of us about the cost of a fast food meal for you and a friend, and you can help them out with that today at blazehelp.org. That's blazehelp.org. Or give them a call at 844-305-0566. That's 844-305-0566. And now here's Aaron with what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by B-E-T-O. Beto O'Rourke is running for president. That I'm not looking at 2020, and, and in fact, I'm, I'm completely ruling that out. Um, not going to do that. Uh, no matter what, win or lose, you're not going to run. Win in or lose, I, I'm not. I'm not running in in 2020. I'm sorry, that was from a few months ago. All joking aside, he's the dude who made Texas competitive. So. Hang on to your butts. More on former FBI employee Lisa Page's under oath testimony. House Republicans released hundreds of pages of transcripts from last year's interview where she revealed that there was indeed a so-called insurance policy against Donald Trump and that that insurance policy was indeed the Russia investigation. So as a parent, how much sympathy would you have uh, for these parents who are embroiled in this alleged cheating scandal? Zero. Zero. Okay. Okay is is the right word. Funding for social services. I am not going to be niggardly about funding 
for daycare. Of course, niggardly is a real word that is nothing like what it sounds, but still, LOL. And now I'd like to introduce you to one Jacob Wool. Jacob is a very young ex-investment banker or something who's a huge MAGA type. You may remember him from such hit lies as Robert Mueller is a wife beater, overheard at a hipster coffee shop, Kamala Harris isn't a U.S. citizen, and this gem from the Daily Wire's Cassie Dillon at CPAC. One of the most interesting parts of CPAC was Jacob Wool walking up to me, I've never met him before, saying, Did you go to my press conference? Me? What press conference? Wool? It's trending. Me? So... I was standing next to a mechanical bull when this happened. Well, he's back at it, investigating Minnesota Congresswoman Elon Omar Wool traveled to Minneapolis recently, where he claimed he was receiving hourly death threats and reported them to the police. Uh, we're, we're journalists on town uh, for, for business, for a report we're doing, and we received a couple of death threats. Yeah, we watched it progress over 24 hours to what you're seeing now, and that's a steady stream coming in every couple hours. Yeah, that's not true. He set up a fake Twitter account to send himself death threats. So, prison. Remember that 11-year-old drag queen whose parents let him dance at gay bars? The boy's mother said recently they were visited by Child Protective Services, and they deemed that accusations of child abuse were quote-unquote unfounded. The New York City Mayor's Office tweets, New York City, there are only four things that should go on your toilet. Poop, pee, puke, and toilet paper. And finally, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage today brought to you by our friends at Home Title Lock. Homeowners beware. Another major data breach of a major bank. And this time, 24 million potential homeowners could see their homes put at risk. And the reason why is even if you have identity theft protection, and if you don't, you should. But even if you have it, uh, scammers now have the information they need to uh, pretend they're you with third-party uh, business partners you have. Uh, for example, uh, a mortgage uh, lender. Um, they they get to pretend they're you. They now have the last four digits of your social security number. Uh, they may have a mid- name, a middle initial, a checking account number. The sorts of things that you put into the fields of the websites that you do business with, third-party websites, to verify your you, they now have that information. A lot of our home titles are online now. Nobody has to go down to some courthouse and comb through volumes of of tomes in order to find your deed. A lot of this is just online. So they log in to, to the website there in, in your county, your city, uh, use the uh, identification information they sold uh, they stole from one of these major banks to claim they're you. Uh, and then they refile, they forge your signature, refile the home. And then you're like this couple right now in Philadelphia that is fighting for their home because a guy in North Carolina keeps trying to put it up for sale. Don't let that happen to you, especially when just for pennies a day, you can protect the most valuable investment most Americans will ever have, their own home. Who knows? Your home's title may already be vulnerable. Find out for free today at HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. All right, let's get to the information uh, that uh, Aaron put out uh, in his montage today. Um, I want to start with the Jacob Wool thing. I I had no idea who this was until 24 hours ago. Did, did you know who this was? I 
seen a name, I believe, on Twitter, but that's the you extent had, okay. of it. Aaron, Aaron, did you know who this was? Oh, yeah. You did. Okay, so this, is this a generational thing? Am I just not in the millennial conservative circles, so I don't no, see not, stuff like this? You're not with it. Okay, and that's possible. You know? He could have been a rap star to be. I'd just seen his yeah, name. That's I mean, all. That, that is possible. I mean, there's, you know, we have a tendency, you know, we're as, as human beings to follow, you know, our peer group that we are, you know, most accustomed to with similar vernaculars and references and things of that nature. So, there, you know, there there have been several people in the uh, the millennial conservative world that I just haven't heard of. And then I go look it up. They have like a quarter of a million Twitter followers or something, you know. So I, I didn't know who this guy was until like 24 hours ago. What you're watching here, you know, I, I have some of it is debating some of you. Some of it is is an internal dialogue with myself. Some of it has been debating some of my peers. But there has been this debate on on the what's left of America, right? We on our show we believe there's two Americas. There's the left's America, and then there's what's left of America. And there has been this uh, the, there, there's been a debate within the what's left of America about whether we should go the full Alinsky. How many? How much of their tactics should we use against them? Right. This has been an ongoing thing. It's okay, you know. We get our own liars to fight their liars. We get our own adulterers to fight their adulterers. We. Um, uh, you know, we get our own grifters to fight their grifters. We get our own scam packs to fight their scam packs. And I've noticed that it does tend to be that a lot of the people that make the argument we should adopt their tactics end up being exposed as scammers. Have you noticed this? No, but yeah, I'm sure that's a, I'm sure that's a coincidence. But this is an example of what do I mean when I say, and I've said this several times the last few years, I am totally fine letting them live by their own standards. I am, you know. I am not, I'm, I am, in fact, I will help Shakespeare hoist them from their own petards. I, you know, uh, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man will always reap what he sows. I have no problem whatsoever uh, watching man bite dog. Do you have a problem with that? No. 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 One of my mentors in this business taught me many, many, many moon ago that God's natural law is often self-enforcing. So yesterday when, you said we should be laughing about the yes, whole college thing. Yes, so yeah. yes. When 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 the cosmos intervenes and justice is taking place and you are watching people hung by their own idols, executed by their own false gods, um and, and as, as far as I'm concerned, in a response somewhere somewhere between gawking and uh, belly laughter and applause. Uh, you know, if, if you're anywhere on that scale, I am like totally fine with it, right? But there is a difference between letting them and making them live by their own standards than um, adopting their own tactics. And if you want to know what that difference looks like, it's this Jacob Bull story. That's what it is. Because see, here's the thing. This, this is why we can't beat them at this game. It doesn't work. Because their tactics are used to deconstruct the standards we're trying to conserve. All right, this is a very important point to understand. Okay? So you're saying if we cheapen yes, this, we are their allies. Th- yes, their tactics are devised to deconstruct the standards and values and virtues we're trying to conserve. So if we engage in those standards, which are specifically and effectually devised, to deconstruct that which we claim to be fighting for. If we use the exact same tactics, we are participating in the what? 
Well, we're committing suicide. Yeah, we're, we're this. That's exactly what this is. We are helping them deconstruct the standards, virtues, and values we claim to be actually trying to conserve. Aaron. It's kind of like um, I don't know, hopping over the wall surrounding Nancy Pelosi's house in order to protest her opposition to a border wall. Yes, something. Not that that ever. Happened. Yeah, not not that that ever happened. But but something like that. Yes. All right. We we. And this is why you've heard me also say when this topic has come up, why am why am I resetting this? Because we're because we have discussed this theoretically the last couple of years, and now we have a real life example of what it looks like. Zero times zero is what? Zero. zero. Trash times trash is what? A lot of garbage. Yes. Lie lie times a lie is what? The throne of lies. Yes. So uh, you should know, and I promise you, I know the people. And or the or and know the people that know the people that are sending you these emails and writing these blogs better than any of you watching me right now or listening to me right now do. I promise you, the vast majority of the people promoting we should adopt their tactics are grifters and craven opportunists. That um, when the Tea Party when they got done ruining the Tea Party brand, they're now trying to ruin the MAGA brand as well. They are opportunists. That's what they are. Okay, they are just these are people that are just trying to do nothing off of taking advantage of you and the partisan content that you want. We don't have to make stuff up. We don't have to lie. What the in this same montage. We have a story about a mom pimping her 11 year old son out to gay bars and and cross dressing competitions who was the same kid was featured on Good Morning America last Christmas. And we have it all on video. We don't have to lie about anything. If you want to know what the secret is to the, you want to hear, year of no BS? Yep. Let's do the year of no BS. Project Veritas. What was the one big mistake they made? The one time they tried something and it blew up in their face. Do you remember? Roy Moore. Roy Moore. Yep. They sent someone in. They specifically sent someone into the Washington Post to affirmatively plant something that was false, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. What do I mean? There's a difference between reactively exposing something that's false and affirmative, affirmatively planting something. Let me give you an example. Several years ago, a, a, a member of the Iowa State Legislature at the time called me. And he said, and and he was very upset about the rhino leadership in the state legislature that was standing in the way of us getting some good conservative legislation passed. And he goes, hey, I've been talking to a couple of activists and we got an idea and I want to know what your thoughts are. I said, okay. He said, you know, this guy really likes to drink and party. So we're thinking maybe we take him out, get him a few drinks, hand him his car keys, ride behind him with our phones and roll tape get him busted drinking and driving and uh you know voila we had a new uh, state leader leader in the state legislature tomorrow what do you think i'm like no <laughs> no no christians we don't tempt people to do evil who's the tempter that would be the devil that would be the devil guys okay <laughs> saul Alinsky dedicated his book to who guys yes who did he dedicate his book? I'm smart with the A. Who did Solinsky dedicate his book to? Lucifer. So, Steve, I have an email question for you. Do you think we ought to use the tactics of a guy who dedicated his book to the devil? My answer would be, are you aware of the show you are contacting with that question? Okay. No. 
No. I said, you know, um, hey, we, well, I don't have a problem exposing the darkness, Ephesians 5.11, have no fellowship with the darkness, but instead expose it. But there's exposing the darkness, and then there is ushering it in. Okay? No. No, we don't, we don't tempt people to be worse than they are. We encourage and inspire them to be better than they can be. That's the difference see, in our worldview. Okay? I, have to, I have to push back on that a little bit. I, I think we can use evil. Like, I don't know, uh, say somebody inv- invented a, a ring that gave you a ton of power. We can, <laughs> we can bend evil to our will. We can make it work for us, Steve. Do you not, do you not understand that? Right, and you can read the uh, obituary of Baramir and Faramir because they agreed with you yeah. on that point. Yeah, they're, they're dead now. Um, uh, but here, no, we don't do that. All right. And so the one time Project Veritas tried something and it blew up in their face was they went in there and planted a fake rape story. And the Washington Post didn't fall for it. And it was embarrassing. Literally every other time Project Veritas has exposed something reactively, meaning they have found a whistleblower or they sent someone in and just rolled tape rather than trying. They didn't. There's a difference between sending somebody in a Facebook. Hey, you know, we believe you guys are, uh, you know, uh, we think, uh, hey, what do you think about shadow banning conservatives? Should we do that? That's different than what's your, you know, what, what's the actual policy? And then you roll tape and let them talk. Every time Project Veritas has done that, somebody's gotten fired. Every night. The one time they tried to literally do a sting operation by planting something, it blew up in their face. Okay, we this is this stuff doesn't work for us and what we're trying to do. It just it doesn't work. It works for them because deconstructionism is right out of their toolbox. It, it's why they can't do self-awareness. Because that would that would indicate a level of objective truth, a moral standard that that transcendently applies when you're trying to deconstruct moral standards, you can't then have them. <laughs> no, there can be no standard. I'm, I'm trying to get rid of the moral standards. So this doesn't work for us. I mean, not to mention then, it encourages us and tempts us to behave worse. How much truth can we verify about the left? that you think you need to go out there and fake death threats against yourself. Well, Steve, that speaks to his character. You're right. But, but why does he have a presence? Who gave him a platform? Because he started saying the things you wanted to hear and he gained some popularity. And again, and so he was encouraged to keep pushing the envelope and we can't stop and have a conversation about, you know, um, holding ourselves accountable because the other side is just so bad that literally everything is justifiable. That can't possibly, whether you want it to be true or not, is irrelevant. It cannot work. And the story of this Jacob Wool is a cautionary tale along those lines. You guys want to comment on that before we move on? Yeah, it's just pot. Meat kettle. Uh, when we're talking about this, um, w- when when you start using the excuse um, for your own behavior, and I'm not saying about your own uh, necessarily. Uh, self, I'm not talking about the self defense ar- argument that we've made. If you start using the excuse of the other side is just fill in the blank, so I have to fill in the blank. 
uh, when it's not in the context of uh, you know some form of self defense, voting for Republicans, that conversation, you're always going to go down the wrong road because you're again, this is the binary choice. This is the type of binary choice arguments we've been just beating a dead horse about for three year, three four years. Um, this that's not a standard, guys. It's not a standard. It never will be. Um, and if we're actually trying to conserve something, uh, that's that's not the droid you're looking for. You shouldn't you shouldn't do evil so that good may come of it. You know, it's like Doctor Evil said, we're going to build a petting zoo. Uh, an evil petting zoo? No, not an evil petting zoo. <laughs> not okay. And that's what, really that that's as childish as your thinking is. You're, you're Doctor you're Doctor Evil. You need to raise your game. Yeah, you're not being wise as a serpent. You're not. That's that. There's no wisdom in that. You are, you are helping your opposition advance their own goals and tactics. That's, you know, um, internment camps are not the antidote to concentration camps. Freedom is. Okay, uh, it's not. It's you can't you can't do a little bit less or a taste great less filling version of what you're opposed to because it works for them when what works for them is the advancement of evil be a liberator be a liberator yes absolutely absolutely um the beto thing oh man (laughs) it has been fascinating to watch uh, the the debate between uh, conservative and click conservative media play itself out. It's not really even they're not like having a debate. It's just like these two worlds coexisting at the same time. So, you know, I'm watching people who don't live in Texas have no ties to Texas, and hey, I get it. You know, um, I, I don't I I get that you want Donald Trump to win the presidency over whoever the Democrats nominate. Because I do too, actually. Um, but And I get that part of that requires the deconstruction of your opposition, right? I get that too, okay? But you can't make everybody that doesn't wear your jersey into a straw man. That's setting yourself up for failure. Respect your opponent. And it is fascinating to watch people who, have, who don't live in Texas, maybe have never even actually been there. All over my Twitter feed about what a joke Beta O'Rourke is because blank. And then I've, I'm seeing people who actually live in Texas, like our own Ali Stuckey from The Blaze. They're like, uh, quote Dick Vitale this time of year, better get a T.O., baby. <laughs> okay? Because we just had an election down here where dudes scared us to death. Did you see those numbers in Aaron's, in Aaron's uh, uh, montage from the election results? What do you, 2.6 points. That's all he lost by. Well, Steve, that was Ted Cruz. You know what? Here's the cool thing. A lot of my best political friends happen to live in Texas, so I get all the best numbers out of Texas. Uh, Ted Cruz's favorability numbers in in Texas, higher than Donald Trump's. His favorables with women, higher than Donald Trump's. Why does that matter? matter? Because that goes a long way in deciding who wins most elections, including probably this next one coming up. And Ted Cruz had, and, and made, and I agree. And Cruz's people will tell you some of it is they probably didn't take him seriously until he established himself. They should have taken him far more seriously right from the outset. I agree. Okay, like I don't think Beto O'Rourke is really only a two point six point loser to Ted Cruz. I think Cruz tactically made some mistakes that he probably should have won that race by four to six points. I agree with that. Okay, okay. But we're also now going to put a candidate on the ballot in place of Ted Cruz, whose favorables are lower and who suburban women in Texas like less than Ted Cruz. So, you know, you, I, I, this is where, again, 
You're just setting yourself up for failure when you when everybody you don't like, every team you don't root for, every politician you don't agree with, you just turn them into a cartoon character. Both sides do this a lot. Um, but, you know, a guy that just lost Texas, with, who, who, who's a, a nothing congressman. Most of us had never heard of this guy until he ran for Senate. There's nothing distinguishing in his political record whatsoever, which means he did this strictly on the basis of his persona. I, I would not dismiss him at all. Because if, the, if, if, if he can make Texas competitive, or at least convince Republicans that Texas is competitive, then the time and energy they spend defending Texas is time and energy they're not spending someplace else. I think the gals that have already committed to running uh, need to take him out and take him out earlier. Because the longer he stays in among them and looks credible along the intersectionality uh, trajectory... He, he he looks he looks more and more um, undebeatable, like he's destined to be there. But I I do see a scenario where based because of intersectionality, he could be made to look a total joke right quick. If if the gals seize the moment and collectively show no, it it's our time. We've seen enough of the. You look like a young uh, Bobby Kennedy. Been there, done that. We're moving on to something different. I I think it's going to be a fascinating yeah. dilemma for yeah. them because. You, With him on a national ticket, Trump. Texas is legitimately in play. It legitimately in play. I still would favor Trump to win it, but it's it's in play. It's a it's a state that would have to be defended. Let me give you an analogy. It would be a little bit like um, if, uh, and it's a terrible analogy, but it's the best one I can think of here live on the air. If Chris Christie were the Republican nominee for president, would I still favor a Democrat to win the state? Yeah, but. When you have a guy who is competitive statewide, now on the other side, are, are they, would they have to invest resources into New Jersey? They right now are thinking they wouldn't have yeah, to. Sure they would. It's worth rolling the dice. Yeah. yeah. And, now, and, and by the way, what has a lot more electoral college votes, Texas or New Jersey? Texas. But Texas together with New York, California, game, set, match, it, it doesn't matter what happens really. In, in the rest of these states. That, that's pretty much the Electoral College right there. Did, did, and so I, but one more thing on this, Aaron, before I throw it to you. I think this is, they're going to have to be careful here because he would be very attractive on a national ticket. And essentially, you run, you run the way Kennedy and, and LBJ did in 1960, where Kennedy just said to Lyndon Johnson, you know, you're, you, you, you're, you hang out down south with those guys. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be up here, okay, winning the Northeast back from the WASPy Republicans, uh, where I could literally see them say to a Beto O'Rourke, we're going to run the intersectionality Olympics everywhere else. You are literally going to run for president of Texas for the next three months because Every amount, if we win that state, it's game, set, match. And if we, and even if we force them to invest serious resources and time there, those are resources and time they're not investing in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, et cetera. Your thoughts on that, Aaron? No, I think, well, one, uh, a few thoughts. Uh, in the uh, intersectionality madness last week, if this news would have come a week later or if we would have done that a week uh, later, uh, I would have put uh, the one seed as being black female to male to, or male to female transsexual versus the eight seed instead of Lindsey Graham. It probably would have been uh, better work because that makes more sense at this point. Secondly, you talked about conservative versus conservative media. Have you noticed what the leftist media is doing regarding beta O'Rourke? Mm -hmm. It is. It's a media gasm. On media gasm. It is. That man. is. Uh, so so uh, that makes me doubt whether or not even if the women 
on on the Democrat ticket, even if they want to try to take him out, if they'll even be able to do that, because right now oh, he is very, very He's going to raise well a crap yep. ton of money, too. A but crap ton. He, he, they'll be able to take him. It's possible. I mean, he's, he's, he's Scott Walker right now. I mean, there, there was a sort of like moment in the sun, chosen kid. He look what he did in Wisconsin. I mean, we were there. We sat and watched it. And then, I mean, like that. It depends dead. on it depends on the rollout. You're right. Okay, and that's a good analogy. The thing that makes this different, though, same profile, same guy. If he had nearly pulled off in any other red state, a huge upset. I think he's dead in the water yep. because of the intersectionality Olympics. But guys, they have spent millions going back to Wendy Davis and even before that in the in the turning of Texas blue. This is where some folk, the, the temptation that he represents of making them competitive in that state and maybe more. That's where I think it's different than if he nearly beat um you know, uh, you know, some if he nearly beat some Republican in North Carolina, they wouldn't be nearly as as. as but Texas is well, the holy grail here. Well, let's just get to cut to the chase. Then, if if Beto can turn Texas, I, there is they no, can do whatever they want. Yep. They can do whatever. The Republican Party is a cause. I agree. Uh, he he is the he is the chosen one of yeah. of, of progressivism. Game totally over. Yep. That that's why I think they have to be careful what they do with him, you know. And I could see them maybe kind of stepping back and see if he pulls, if he kind of has a bad rollout like Scott Walker did, because Texas is uh, it's the brass ring. We'll come back more here on the Blaze in a moment. Stay tuned. <laughs> Man, we've been having a fascinating off-the-air conversation. At least I'm fascinated by it about Beto here during the commercial break. You know, but uh, we're going to have plenty more opportunities to watch how this is going to play out. Uh, so underestimate him. Uh, at your own peril would be my advice. Hey, do you have itchy ears, ear pain, that plugged up feeling? Are you constantly asking others to repeat themselves? If these problems sound familiar, you could be like millions of Americans forced to visit the doctor for a professional ear cleaning. But now you can get the same professional results in the comfort and convenience of your own home. And because here's the thing, guys, winter is finally giving way. It like was above freezing all overnight last night. I even slept in the basement because the sump pump, I, I just needed to make sure it was going off the entire time. You know? <laughs> I bet you did. I did. I T mean, I slept se- in the basement. T minus seven days yes. till March my Madness. Lo- yes, I was, I, was, I was lulled to sleep. The lullaby was my sump pump going off last night. That's what gave me the peace I needed. Who needs melatonin? I needed to hear the sump pump going off. Comes right. on. Here I am, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here's the good news, though. When we get rid of winter and it is breathing its last gasp as we speak, that means spring. You know what that also means, though? Allergy season, all right? So you're kind of out of the frying pan into the fire. 
when it comes to some of that ear pain issue. Uh, you know, with winter or spring, take care of it in the comfort and convenience of your own home with WaxRx. It uses a physician-developed technology that safely and effectively removes earwax buildup and then soothes the ear with a pH-conditioned formula. And now you can get uh, WaxRx without a prescription as well. Try WaxRx risk-free Today, just go to usewaxrx.com. That's the website, all one word. Usewaxrx.com. Use the offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. Usewaxrx.com. Offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. It's that time each week, right? Oh, you do the intro here. My bad. Come on, on, man. I stepped on your lines. I'm sorry. Come on, man. Yes, because... I'm grounded. I'm grounding myself. Because these two guys just... Bunch of curmudgeons. Not that I'd know anything about that. We decided to bring back three questions, three non-political questions, and uh, get the, you know, get the topic off the impending doom of Western civilization because Texas is turning blue. Uh, question number one. Uh, number one is: uh, What's the best and worst NCAA tournament in your memory? What was the memorable game or least memorable game? And uh, describe it a little bit. Uh, I mean, the best for me is easy, 1989. Yeah. You know, and it's the 30th anniversary of Michigan winning the 1989 NCAA tournament. And I've been going back and watching all that stuff on YouTube. I recorded that game, the championship game against Seton Hall that night, that Monday night, and watched it live. And I mean, I came home from school like every day for like two weeks and watched it. I, I almost know the Brett Musburger, Billy Packer play-by-play of that game. I almost know it by heart. Like I do the dialogue of a Star Wars movie. I can almost put that game in and almost just like mouth the words. I have watched that game so often. I still have the Sports Illustrated cover from 1989 uh, framed uh, in my man cave today. Uh, And that entire tournament, uh, I remember uh, uh, we played Illinois in the semifinals, uh, the Flying Illini, Kenny Battle and Lowell Hamilton and Marcus Liberty and Kendall Gill. One of the best Big Ten teams of my lifetime that didn't win a national championship. Maybe the best one. And uh, they had just crushed us during the regular season twice. And we and it, it, we had led them in the third meeting in the final four most of the game and then gave up the lead at the end of the game. And so I'm like, I can't watch us lose to these guys again. And I, my stepdad's all over me to get the dishes done. So I'm like, I'm going to go in the kitchen, get the dishes done. I just can't let this happen to me again. And then something told me, no, it's going to be different this time. So I literally have a cereal bowl in my hand with a dish towel. I'm drying it out. When Terry Mills puts up the three-pointer at the buzzer, Sean Higgins rebounds it on the weak side and puts it in, and Michigan beats Illinois by one point, and I nearly broke that bowl in my hand. You know, so I, I mean, I can remember the 1989 NCAA. I can remember where I was, where I watched every one of those games. I remember watching the Virginia game in the Elite Eight when we hit like, it felt like 33s. And that was like a noon Eastern game from Rupp Arena in Lexington, Kentucky. And we we just crushed Virginia in the Elite Eight. And we all were, me and my friends, we were all so hyped up. We all went out and played basketball the rest of the afternoon. I didn't even watch the other Elite Eight game. I mean, I, I can remember where I was every single one of those six games. 
Uh, and Glenn Rice, you know, Michigan was selling these throwback shirts for the 89 team with the old jerseys. Uh, and I got myself one and they were all number 41. Uh, and my wife's like, who is number 41? I'm like, Glenn Rice, man. I spent hours in my driveway trying to pattern my jump shot after Glenn Rice when I was a kid. So 89 for me, unquestionably, would be the most memorable one. Um, in terms of the most crushing one, I wouldn't say Weber's timeout was crushing. I mean, I was crushed by that game, but that whole tournament for Michigan was phenomenal. You know when the most crushing one for me was 1986? And it was the last time I cried over a sporting event. Is When I was a kid, little kid and we first moved to Michigan, the first team I really fell in love with was Michigan's basketball team with Roy Tarpley, Butch Wade, Richard Relford. Glenn Rice eventually got on that team as a freshman. Antoine Jobert with the with 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 uh, the Soul Glow, Gary Grant. We were the only team in America that Dick Vitale gave two nicknames to. Antoine the Judge Jobert, Gary the General Grant. And we had um, won the Big Ten back-to-back years. We're playing up at the Metrodome. And a lot of these guys were seniors. And we were playing Iowa State in the second round. And I think the first TV timeout, it was like 13 to two Michigan or something. And Dick Stockton's calling the game for CBS. He's like, this, this feels like the JV versus the varsity. And we lost to Iowa State 72 to 69 at the end of that game. And that team lost after winning the Big Ten, lost in the second round two years in a row. I, I literally cried. I mean, there were, I was 12 years old. I literally bawled when we lost that game. Remember that shot of the kid who, in the, when Northwestern finally made the tournament a few years ago for the first sure. time? Oh, yeah. And the kid that was crying in the stands when they lost? That was me, you know? So that would be the most crushing NCAA tournament I can remember. Well, you'd think that the most memorable would be, what is it, Steve? Uh, is it four and five years ago when the Badgers went to the- 2014 fi- and 15, back-to-back, Final okay. Four. Yep. You'd think those would be the most memorable, but it's it's actually 2000 with Dick Bennett and that Badger team going, because that was Hoosiers. That team had zero business being there, except for, pound for pound, one of the greatest coaches in any sport I've ever had the pleasure uh, to root for. I mean, th- that was the essence of why you watch uh, March Madness. You I, watching it, going out to, to friends' houses, to bars uh, with my friends. I just remember, like, is this a dream? Is this real? Is this what a miracle feels like? And the Badgers had no history of success before that in in my entire lifetime. That was a, an amazing ride. Uh, most heartbreaking. I think uh, in terms of those two final fours, uh, you think if you're in the final game and you don't get there, but that game, we we had that game in as much as you can fairly early in the second half because the Duke's bigs were uh, in foul trouble. They were out, and that uh, at that time, scrawny uh, white kid who was a freshman named, and now he's graduated, forgive me, he just graduated, the guy who kept kicking people. Um, on Duke. Oh, uh, uh, Grayson Allen. Allen. Grayson. He comes yeah. in, has plays out of his mind as a freshman, and the tide turned in such a way yeah. as if you're a fan, you just realize literally oh, nobody knew who Grayson Allen yeah. was. And yeah. it's you're just oh, this this is one of those it's just not our night kind of things. If yeah. something like that can happen, so the year before we're in the Final Four, right down the straight, we have the lead against Kentucky, and one of the twins hits a a dagger three. That was probably. More crushing. The Harris twins? Yes. Or Harrison twins? Yes. I was trying to figure this out because the most, I'll I'll start, I was was trying to figure out when this one started, but I remember one of the best memories and it, for whatever reason, 
still sticks out in my mind so much was West Virginia versus Kansas. And it just seemed like it was going on all night. I mean, it just seemed like it, it just kept good. That game just kept going and going and going. And I think Kansas was maybe a one seed. And you had uh, Johannes Airbear. You had uh, Kevin Pitsnoggle from West Virginia. Which when John Beeline coached and West Virginia. John Beeline. Yeah. I think his son might have actually been playing then uh, for yeah. West Virginia as well. I was trying to figure out which year that was because I know the most crushing uh, tournament like 2007 or 8 maybe I think it was actually it was before that okay I think it was the same I think my most crushing and the funnest tournament memory were actually the same tournament because back in 2006 Iowa had oh, Northwestern State went, went yeah. off uh, in the Big Ten tournament won the Big Ten tournament got in as like a three or four seed uh, had like a 20 point lead on some team named Northwestern State yeah and then lost lost at the buzzer I yeah. and I literally got sick after that game i remember walking upstairs i remember walking upstairs and i'm like man i don't i don't feel good and i couldn't i was i would have been uh, i don't know 12 or 13 or something like that i can't even remember how old i would have been then so i was like i i was old enough to like man i don't i i'm too old for this but i was i literally had a cold uh question number 2 i know steve you um you have not really seen or taken time to watch the new Avengers trailer, but you kind of know the contents of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It looks like they are going to confirm your theory, go back in time before the snap Thanos snap and fix things that way. However, if it is not the case that that is what's going to happen with the plot based on the, on the trailers that we have so far, what could you envision the plot line being? So for those of you that are that don't know, my, my theory is what's going to happen is they go back in time, reset the snap. You know, the scene in the, the Avengers when, uh, when Peter Parker's on the bus, okay? That I think that he, we're going to learn that he was actually on his way to school with his classmates or even on the way to the field trip that he takes to Europe in the Spider-Man movie coming out in July after Endgame. And that, that despite, because they've already said that that movie takes place like 10 minutes after Avengers Endgame does. And I think what you're going to see is they reset it to that. But just as, just as Thanos had to make a sacrifice in order to exercise the snap, and so he had to sacrifice Gamora, there will have to be a sacrifice in order to reverse it. And it will be Iron Man and or Captain America. Both will sacrifice themselves to end up reversing it. So that's my theory of what they will do. If that's not what they do, then um, I honestly don't know what the alternative would be. Uh, maybe that you find out that those people weren't annihilated. They are stored in the, in the soul stone, for example. That's one of the theories about, uh, that Gamora is actually trapped in there, not necessarily dead so that she could come back, uh, again in the future. Um, I, I don't know what is, what the alternative they would come up with is, especially when you're right. I haven't watched this new trailer in depth, but I mean, they, they even use the term reset. Isn't that actually even used in the trailer? so, So, I don't know what other option they would come up with if it's not to go back in time and undo what was done. I I have to say the same thing, not not because I don't want to... Ch- if I could logically imagine something, I would, but they're also telling you that the next um, Doctor Strange movie, the next uh, Black Panther movie, these are all goes. They're mm-hmm. all going to happen. I mm-hmm. they're right now they're dead in this movie. So I would and it it really surprised me that they were telegraphing uh, all of this. 
maybe they just knew it was going to be impossible. You know, some things as good as they're planning is they just can't hide everything. So I don't know. That just tells me that it's just dumb for me to try to imagine something because it seems like they're telling me exactly what they're going to do. Yeah, I don't. I'm not quite I'm not quite clear what other alternatives there could be. I know at one point uh, talked about, you know, uh, essentially uh, Thanos would become some some sort of um, some sort of God. Um, and so this would be some sort of attempt at a de- deconstruction of a theism or Christianity or something like that. I don't think that's going to happen because th- then the Avengers come in and save the world from God. I don't. I don't think that's probably going to be the direction that they would go. But it would have to be uh, something along the lines of what Steve said: is that they're being stored somewhere. All of the souls are being stored somewhere. Um, otherwise, I'm. I'm not sure. That's why I asked. Uh, that's why I asked the question. If you follow the the formula of Marvel's films, every time we have we have assumed there is some fantastical other thing going on, the most simple formula plot formula yep. has been what they have gone with literally from the very beginning all along you yep. know so I, I i think it's it's and because they've here's what they figured out it's it's not how convoluted or complicated the, or the storytelling is it's how good and relatable the storytelling is that's what it's about that's what they have figured out yep i guess the only not you got me thinking based on what you said it it it's not maybe it's not necessarily a reversal but somehow they redefine they have their own snap, so it's not necessarily a resetting, but it's a it's a canceling of one in favor of another. So maybe you what you're seeing by it looks like there's no destruction or anything like that. It could it might not necessarily be a reset, but yet another new future. Okay. So, Alternate universes. Uh, final question: The Chiefs, my Chiefs, uh, recently lobbied the NFL to change overtime rules to ensure both teams get the ball. Um, what do you think of that proposal, and what's one rule uh, you would do away with, and one rule you would add that uh, would make the game of football, NFL football, better? Replay, review, any of your popular tropes don't get just scared of that. I, I, to me, I, I think the college overtime is superior. Um, Good grief! Can we just I, do I would that? just and, and and I'd move the ball back to instead the college starts at the twenty-five. I'd start at the thirty-five or the forty. Okay. Um, but the the real issue with the overtime rules is what's done in the playoffs. It's much more important in the playoffs that everybody gets a chance than the than than you know I I lose a coin toss and Tom Brady scores a touchdown and that's the end of the game. I played an entire season and my best play and no other sport is that the case. Like in basketball, hey, I won the tip off. You put your starting point guard and, and center on the bench and just and, and if I hit it's it's a ridiculous premise. You know, so I'd even be fine with if they want to say because of player safety, we're not going to have any overtime in the regular season. If they want to say that, we're not going to have any right overtime in the regular season. We have ties uh, because then your game day coaching at the end of games would get much more aggressive as well because you can afford more than one tie in the way that the playoff uh, formulas work. Yeah. All right. And then if they want to say, but in over, but in the playoffs, we go all out in the overtime to make sure we have a definitive win and everybody gets an equal shot. Fine. It's not really what the overtime is in September. It's really what it is in January and February. That's really the issue to me, you know? So 
And and I actually like the idea of getting rid of the onside's kick. If we're gonna if we're gonna put a condom on the onside's kick so that it largely it couldn't it can't possibly it's a contraceptive now. It's not a play. You can't win. Then I, I like the idea of we're just not gonna do it anymore. And if you decide you don't want to kick off, you have to go for it on fourth and fifteen from your own thirty five yard line. And if you don't get it, your opponent gets the ball right there. You know, and I, I'd be fine with that too. I'm not against making rules changes for player safety. I just don't believe most of the player safety virtue signaling is about player safety. Most of it is uh, a bunch of leftists who can't stand the fact that we still have a masculine-driven meritocracy, okay? So if you want to bring me evolutions that are actually in favor of player safety, I'm genuinely in favor of them, you know? My kid plays football. I didn't let him play tackle last year because I understand that it's dangerous. But I also understand boys do things that are dangerous, and that's okay, too, when they're ready to do them, right? Agreed. You know, so— um, I'm fine with making the game more safe. I just think most of this is just virtue signaling to get, uh, you know, pagan uh, utilitarian uh, editorial pages and Christine Brennan off our back. And you really, I, 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 I you've stymied me. I, ha- I have to talk about instant replay, but you won't let me. So um, I'm holding. I'm not taking. I'm not accepting this isn't that buy, choice. Sell or hold, Todd. I, I'm, Come I'm, on, I'm, man. I'm holding. That's the most important rule, so I'm holding. And there, you have to have a situation where when you have a call, like what, what transpired in the Saints and the Rams. If, yeah. if, the, if, the, if, you, if you have a, with today's technology, if the league is not going to step in and stop that, then the league needs to say, yep. if we're going to allow the human element, then all those officials have, are fired. Have you seen okay? uh, any sure. of the Sky Judge footage? I think Sky Judge is what it's called in the AAF. Have you seen any of that? Mm-mm. Have you watched that? Mm-mm. It is really, really good because you actually go inside and you hear what that official up in the booth is saying and their reasoning for why a play needs to be reversed or upheld. I think that's the one thing that I would add to the NFL. Yeah, you also, can't you get can't, rid you, of one one uh, one foot in. Is, either we remove the hel- the human element or we have accountability. Right now, you you, you, you we you, we don't have really either. I say accountability. Then I'm fine with that. Just choose one of them then. And greetings. Welcome to Hour 2, live and on demand on The Blaze. I am Steve Dace. They are Todd and Aaron, and you are you at 888-900-3393, 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E, and if you are listening to us today via podcast, if you haven't done so already, if you have done this, thank you. But if you have yet to, leave us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice. We would greatly appreciate that. Also, if you want to like us on Facebook, if you could like us about 24 times, because that's about how many times apparently you have to click on our page for Facebook to register the like. All right, so... Um, cause if you do the math that we ran through yesterday, I believe the ratio is it requires 24 clicks. So click like 24 times. And then uh, eventually your like of our show, I think we'll register finally on Facebook. It's just like, uh, Joshua and company marching around the city. The walls will finally come tumbling down. Except they only had to do it seven times. We need you to click on the like button on Facebook 24 times, 24. Much bigger devil we're fighting. <laughs> Oh, hey, you know, we're getting into the time of year when the resolve in those New Year's resolutions tends to uh, erode. 
Um, and weight loss nowadays is number one with a bullet in terms of the most popular New Year's resolution on a perennial basis. And I'm sympathetic to it. You know, I've, I've fought the battle of the bulge in my own life as well. Uh, in fact, some studies say upwards of about 80% of New Year's resolutions fail by the time we get to St. Patty's Day, which is this weekend, actually. So if you're struggling with your resolution to lose weight, well, some of it may be your own fault, okay? Steve, I don't know why this didn't work. I, I, I ate at McDonald's three times yesterday. Well, you know, that's a you problem. I, I can't help you. You know, look in the mirror. But you also may be at a point that you're feeling stymied because you're trying to do it right. You're staying disciplined, um, but it's just not working the way that it used to. Our metabolism isn't as good as it used to be. And here's a little thing that you need to learn too. If you let yourself get really overweight as I once did, you kind of wreck your metabolism. And as you get older, it is not as easy to uh, relight the pilot there, so to speak, to restoke that fire, you may need some help. I'm going oh, to suggest something called Riduzone. Now, let me tell you what it's not. This is not a stimulant. We don't sit there and advocate you, you know, fill your body with chemicals and stuff on this show. We don't do that. Um, this is a supplement that has, if you turn over the bottle, uh, it's got like four ingredients and you can pronounce all of them uh, except for what's called OEA. Now, OEA is what's found, and it's one of the primary ingredients in olive oil. It's something that our bodies naturally produce, actually, but it produce, our bodies produce a lot more of this when we're younger than they do when you get to about my age, okay? So you could, uh, you could find OEA if you went and you know, had cleared out the uh, olive oil section at the grocery store and drank a half bottle a day, you'd be good to go. That's a pretty radical solution. How about an easier one? Because uh, one capsule of Riduzone is essentially the same thing, the same amount of OEA, all right? And, and it helps to kick that metabolism into high gear. If you want to give this a shot, the healthy way, you can get 30% off a three-month supply of Riduzone right now using promo code Steve, all right? Using promo code Steve, 30% off right now at Riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, Riduzone.com. Use promo code Steve, 30% off a three-month supply today. Let's get to today's Truth Bomb. Brought to you by my new book, Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies. Conservatives believed our own demise, endorsed by the great one Mark Levin, Dan Bongino, Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, Glenn Beck. In other words, people that you like a lot more than me. You can pick up your copy today, bookstores everywhere, but Amazon.com right now. And if you haven't yet done so, if you've read the book and you like it, if you could leave us a five-star review at Amazon, we would appreciate those too. Thank you to those of you that have done this already. I want to reiterate something that I said yesterday because the vote is going on today. All right. And not all of you that listen are subscribers yet to The Blaze. Some of you only get the podcast version of this. So when we debated this on The Blaze Roundtable yesterday, you may have missed it. But I want to make this point patently clear. Anyone, and I mean anyone, anyone, anyone in the United States Senate there are some principled people in the House who haven't voted for any of this status garbage. But anyone in the United States Senate today who votes against the president's emergency declaration at the border and says they're doing so on constitutional grounds 
should not be believed. Anybody in the Senate, all 100 of them, any of that 100 that makes the case that's why they are voting no on this today, hashtag fake news. That's not true. You do not go on CBS News this morning and and launch a new entitlement for the nanny state and literally call it the Cradle Act, like you're trolling yourself. And then turn around and you say, well, you know, I'm really concerned about uh, government overreach in the Constitution. No, you're not. No, no, you're really not. Uh, You don't vote to fully fund all of the welfare state year after year after year after year. And then turn around and claim, I'm really concerned about the Constitution. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not for the Constitution. You're for open borders. Or maybe you're just for sticking it to Donald Trump. Because as Aaron likes to say, it's the 666 clause in the Constitution, orange man bad. Okay? That's what's really going on here. Don't believe any of the constitutional virtue signaling. None of these 100 men at this point are serious about this. Any of them that claim it. None of them are. That doesn't mean there are not reasons. I've even articulated a reason why I'm troubled by the emergency declaration. Not because I don't think it's constitutional. Because I do. Uh, It's because the way that the president now has gone about it by signing the appropriations bill and then declaring the emergency, my concern is that we are not now going to go to court and debate what is a national emergency. We're now going to go to court and debate what is an appropriate level of an appropriation. And we're going to invite the courts now to referee uh, the, the, the budgetary process. That's one of the, there's only two things left. We haven't told the courts. Uh, yes, you are our masters on this as well. And one of them, we're beginning to surrender on that too. And that's war. You know, now courts are de- want to declare that your daughters have to declare for the draft. Okay. The other one is appropriations. And it's one thing to tell a state that they have to, like they did in Plyler versus Doe, you have to provide tax benefits to illegal aliens. But it's another thing that's bad enough. And that, that, that's one of the decisions that opened the door to a lot of what we're seeing now with illegal immigration in the country. Because there's two reasons these people come here. One is for a job and the other is for a handout. It just depends on which is which. Um, it's another thing, though, for us to tell the federal, uh, the federal bench that it now gets to decide specific appropriations matters. That, that it gets to essentially make the legislative branch, which our founders intended to be the most powerful of the other branches. That's why, that's why it can um, uh, impeach a president. That's why it's, it's affirmation is needed for the placement of judges on a lifetime bench. That's why it is given the power to limit the jurisdictional scope of said judges. That's why all appropriations, meaning every penny that is spent begins in the legislative branch, etc. That's why the appointments of the executive branch have to be affirmed by the legislative branch. This is the one that the founders meant to be the most powerful. They did not create three equal branches of government. When somebody tells you that too, that that's the, uh, that's when someone talks about three co-equal branches. That's the constitutional version of the, I'm, well, we're going to do this by stopping waste, fraud, and abuse. I, I, that's, that's the waste, fraud, and abuse of the budget conversation. Whenever you hear someone say, I don't care what jersey they are, where they went to school, what their liberty score is, what team they're on, what network they say it on. The minute someone says in a budget conversation that, they're, that we're going to, that, that drops the line, waste, fraud, and abuse, 
we're done. Just hang up the phone. You're like that gif of Homer Simpson backing into the bushes. We're, we're, that, that's, this, is, this is no longer a serious conversation. And maybe you're telling me now that it actually never was when I thought maybe it was, okay? The other, the constitutional version of that is when someone tries to drop the, but we have three co-equal of government. No, we don't. No, we don't. Uh, there's 18 enumerated powers and you can see which ones have the most and have the most powerful of said powers, okay? So the legislative branch was intended to be the most powerful branch. And if we go ahead and say, we're going to let the federal bench now referee the appropriations process, we're essentially saying, what is the point of a legislative branch? How many people that are going to vote against the president's emergency declaration have made the argument that I just made, gentlemen? How many? (laughs) (laughs) That's the correct answer. I know. Yeah, that's, that's the right answer. No, this isn't about that. They don't care about the Constitution. They don't. Okay, this is, this is orange man bad. This is Koch brothers, uh, you know, want Coke, Coke brothers want open borders, orange man bad. That's all that this is. And I don't care who it is. Year of no BS. Don't buy any of it. This is not a serious conversation about the Constitution. This is Koch brothers want drug dealers out of prison and open borders for cheap labor. And um, this is I, uh, orange man bad. OK, so, you know, you have two Republican senators from Utah. One of them I really like and one of them I don't. But I'm going to tell the truth about them both. The one I really like, who I actually lobbied to put on the U.S. Supreme Court not too long ago, um, and still think he'd make a fabulous Supreme Court justice, by the way, because um, he'd also be immune from Koch brothers' money with that job, too. That's another reason to put him on the Supreme Court. See what I did there. Uh, but the, one of the senators from Utah is for letting the drug dealers out and keeping the borders open because the Koch brothers want him to be for that. And the other guy is going gonna, is gonna to claim he's voting for the Constitution and against the president's declaration. That's Mitt Romney, just because orange man bad. Am I right or am I wrong? Your thoughts, gentlemen? Yeah, I mean, one one senator is what you said. The other is Mitt Romney. You would have thought that you were describing Mitt Romney, though, with the first description of one Michael Lee. Um, this is the reason, again, and I want to, since you're underscoring this, I want to underscore what I said yesterday on the roundtable as well, which is that this is why the conversation that we had on Tuesday, um, answering the questions from Joe, this is why we don't uh, pledge fealty, pledge our souls, our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honors to the Republican Party. It's for moments like these because it is full of BS in what it should be a year of no BS. Uh, the second conversation that we had, I think it was on Wednesday. Yes, yes, Wednesday, um, talking about uh, this. This is again. Uh, this is why we do not make idols. This is why we don't uh, make idols or heroes out of really any politician whatsoever. Because sooner than later, eventually, you either live, uh, you either die conservative, or you live long enough to see yourself become a swamp rat, and that's that's what we see over and over again. It's a cycle. Nothing personal. It's nothing personal, but that's just the reality of the system and the way it's devised. Listen, here's the sad fact. We replaced this thing called the Articles of Confederation with the Constitution. And it's abundantly clear that most of the senators Steve is talking about on both sides of the aisle would prefer the Articles of Confederation. In fact, that's basically what we have these days. Because the reason we had to get a Constitution is because it it, it wasn't going to hold. The center was not going to hold. And it isn't holding now. So we're back right where we we started. This thing called the Constitution 
at best, is a pretty piece of really old paper in a glass case that they actually built a really big hole to protect and they lowered into the ground so that can survive in the event of a nuclear holocaust while the rest of us are all dead or gone or run over by whatever comes over from the southern border. Uh, we are back where we started. Uh, that's why we need another revolution. Uh, I want to I close by making this simpler. For those of you that think I'm being too tough here, let's do a thought exercise. Would Mike Lee have gone on CBS News this morning and promoted the exact same nanny state program with Michelle Obama? No. If, if Barack Obama no. was president? No. Would, would Mitt Romney be concerned about, uh, or pretend to be concerned, uh, about executive overreach if George W. Bush, John McCain, his type of Republican, declared a national emergency at the border? He wrote the precursor to Obamacare. Yeah, yeah. So there's your hand. We're not being too tough. We're not. So this is resistance is futile. You will be assimilated. This is the Borg. This is the swamp. That's how it rolls. Don't believe any of this. None of this is real. This is just simply Orange Man is bad and or Koch brothers told me we have to have open borders. That's all that this is. Nothing more, nothing less. So at this point, if you don't want to hear that truth or you can't handle it, that's a you problem. And enjoy getting scanned by the Republican Party for another 25 years if that's how much time we have left. We could use a segue. Uh, a segue where to something that actually provides real hope, not the fake variety. Let's play. Let's play the Avengers trailer. Um, there's not a lot of hope. <laughs> Our podcast list is going to see that. Uh, and Aaron, Aaron, that, that's Aaron doing his job because he knows he has that, you know, set to when I'm always at a point of despair, he knows to click on the uh, Cambodian smoking toddler. It works every time. Cheers me up every time. I laugh every it, time. It sounds like this is not exactly what you were just trying to no. do. Up. No, although that's it. That You know what? If you're going to go with substitutes, yeah. that or the jihadist who gets blown up while he's jihadiing, yeah. those are my two all-time faves. Okay. okay, those are number one and number two. You know, that, that's my let it be and my we won't get fooled again on my uh, on my personal music you know, list. But no, like real hope. We have been doing this series on Theology Thursday. We've been going through the book of Colossians. It's the first time we've been doing a Bible study. We're going to finish the book of Colossians today. Uh, we're actually off next Thursday and Friday for our annual spring break that is not coincidentally perennially timed around the opening weekend of the NCAA you basketball the best tournament. damn luck. It's, <laughs> it's amazing how it works yeah. out like that, right? Every now and then, every now and then, there, it, it pays to get mediocre paid by a company Steve Dace owns. That's one of the fringe benefits. There's very few, but that would be one. Um, so we're going to finish Colossians today. Spend the rest of the hour on this, and we're in chapter four. And then you've got two weeks. I've got several questions already. We're going to do a follow-up show uh, in two weeks from today. Uh, your follow-up questions or, or criticisms or challenges to what you heard through the course of uh, this several-month study of the book of Colossians, we're going to do that uh, two weeks from today for Theology Thursday. The week after that, um, I've got something special planned for that week. Because I think there is a portion of scripture where we all, which is one of the most famous stories in the scriptures, but it ha might have a more contemporary application than we are aware. And it's possible we might at any given time, given where we are currently at as a people, 
we might be every key figure, a representative of every key figure in this story. All right, so we're going to talk about that uh, in three weeks. And then what we're going to do for Theology Thursday after that, I don't know yet. So if you have ideas, let us know. Steve at stevedace.com, email them in. Yeah, we'll discuss that amongst the team here, all right? So we're going to finish Colossians today, and that gives you two weeks to think of your questions, criticisms, challenges of what we've done on this over the last few months, and then we'll get to those uh, for the follow-up podcast. I've saved several already uh, coming up in two weeks. But let's begin with chapter four. And again, we come out of the ESV, which is a a modern uh, language, word-for-word translation of the uh, original texts. All right, so this is Paul writing to the church in Colossae. This is the closing chapter of of the letter that he, or the epistle, that's the fancy stained glass window word for letter that he wrote to the, ch- to the church there 2,000 years ago. So this is essentially, um, he may never ever converse with them ever again. There's no way of knowing this. So this is a little bit like a, you know, um, it's not even a further instructions. It, it could also even be a final instruction. And notice what the first final instruction is. Continue steadfastly in prayer. How often do we say today? Well, I guess the only thing left to do is pray. How often do we say that? Sometimes if you've, if you've been a loyal or a long time, because uh, you can be loyal, just didn't hear about us for, you know, until a few weeks or a few months ago. And then you're like, hey, I like this. I listen all the time. So let's go with long time. If you're a long time listener to this show, you may have heard me say, one of the things I've observed in my political activism is that a lot of believers will do works with faith and not faith with works. And those are two totally different things. What do I mean by that? That there is a difference between what, as Paul also wrote in previous Verses in this very letter we talked about. Whatever you do, do to the glory of God, right? That, all right, so meaning that I, the, my point of this is to honor God in an obedient faith. That is the point of this work. Not to create a specific result that I'm confident God will give me because I'm just so special. But whatever it is, regardless of what the result is, my motivation is to do this in obedient faith. I've been in so many meetings with other Christian political leaders or political activists and we will all sit around. They always start the same way. It's, it's like, you've heard me say this before too, when you get two pastors in a room together, what's the first question they always ask? How big's your church? church. Yeah, in other words, they might put it a different way. How's your church? Mm-hmm. How was your service last Sunday? But it really means how many people you got. Yep. So we sit in this room and everybody talks about, you know, how many stations they're on, how many books they've sold, who they are, because we're trying to figure out, you know, because of course, course, whoever is the biggest platform. It's being used by the Lord. Yeah, most. And so they should, of course, be the person that is, uh, that has followed the most. In one of these meetings, I'll never forget. And it was a group of Christian leaders, several names people in our audience would know. And they had come to Iowa right before the 2012 caucuses trying to figure out, is there a Christian candidate we can rally behind and, and, um, and, and try to support to defeat Mitt Romney for the nomination. And uh, because I was the one radio guy in the room and I, I don't think, do you guys think I have the classic radio voice? Cause I don't think I do at all. Do you think no, I do? No, no, not. 
<laughs> Ron in our ear. Another country heard from Ron from in, from Dallas with the leg drop over the top. He just Jimmy Superfly snooked me off the steel cage. And I also he's like the- screaming in my ear. No, 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 you don't. No. In fact, I'm emasculated yeah. even listening to it every day. I can't get my wife pregnant. It's so feminine. No, you don't. No. He's never felt more importantly about anything. I know. I know. That's the most assertive Ron has been in the six months we've been doing this. Wow. Wow, Ron, did you, you guys heard that too? In your yeah. no, oh, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> this will not stand. Yes. Um, so I think they thought because I was the one radio guy in the room, maybe I had the classic radio voice, which I don't. So they asked me to do the scripture reading. So I thought, well, wow, this meeting's even ahead of most of the meetings I'm in. We're going to do a scripture meeting before we start. We do the devotional. We don't even do that. Typically what happens is we go right into our master planning and then at the end someone's like, all right, let's pray and ask God to bless this. That happens like every time, okay? So this one though, it seemed like it was going to be different. We did a devotional and the devotional they they asked me to read was David versus Goliath. And the party establishment, the system we're trying to take on with a true believer candidate is, is, is the Goliath in the story and we're trying to find who's the David who will go down into the Valley of Elah. And we'll say that the world may know there is a God in Israel. Someone needs to slay this uncircumcised Philistine. Who will do it? Right? That's the metaphor we're going for. The allegory maybe is a better term here. So I, I do the scripture reading and then I don't speak like for another hour and a half. While the people with more subscribers and more radio stations, well, actually I was only a radio guy, but you know, people with bigger platforms and bigger organizations, they all talk. And bigger checkbooks all talk. After about an hour and a half, one of the guys in the room who knows me says, this is the longest I've ever heard you stay quiet in one of these things. All right? So you, you have to have something to say. And you know what I said? I said, guys, remember when we did the scripture reading? Because <laughs> it was all about how much money have they raised? What are their polling numbers currently at? Now, now I, I'm the show that t- talks about that stuff as much as anybody because I've, I've done the nuts and bolts of politics. But David went down to the Valley of Elah with only five smooth stones here. We're, we're kind of missing the point, you know? Because the reality is this guy over here, one of the guys sitting at this table is James Dobson's biggest donor. He can buy and sell all of us in this room, in this studio right now, 27 times. If we have the candidate worthy of going down into the Valley of Elah, this guy will just cut the check. Why does it matter how much money they have right now? We got a guy with money in the room. He'll cut the check. You guys are having the wrong conversation. You got it backwards. That was the last time I spoke in the meeting. So <laughs> it go, and then of course it ended with, all right, let's pray and ask God to bless this. It, this is how it always goes. But notice when he, when he gives his further final instructions here, the first time Paul, the first thing Paul says, make sure your deacons uh, have a good plan um, and make sure your elders meet. No, 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 that's not what he does. Uh, make sure your men's ministry, by the way, has gluten-free dessert. No, that's not what he says. Make sure there's a McDonald's in the uh, church atrium. Yeah, yeah, make sure you have a slam and praise team. Uh, no, 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 no. Fog machine. First thing, continue steadfastly in prayer. In our Western American mindset, we will literally verbalize. Essentially, what we're saying is this. <sighs> All right, man, I have, I've done this in my own steam and in my own power. I mean, I've three times divorced. You know, I've, I've, my kids hate me and, you know, I'm, I'm my 28th job. And so I've tried to fix America with everything I know how to do. And we're just lost here. So I guess the only thing we have to do is petition the most powerful undefeated being in the universe and find out what he thinks. That is literally what we're verbalizing. And we do it constantly. I do it constantly. 
We can't, we almost as Americans cannot avoid the temptation to say, I mean, I guess it's like all we have to do. Like we're totally lost. Like, shouldn't the first move be, let's, let's go to the guy who wins all the time. Find out what he thinks. Shouldn't that be the first move? You'd think. You would think. But man, we love that whole ye be like God thing. We love it. And we even love it after we acknowledge that it, where it comes from. This is why we have to, Paul writes in another letter, we have to die daily. We have to kill this urge constantly. We have to crucify this urge constantly. And this is where the Catholic is going to stand up and say, that's why we have a mass. Right? Isn't that what you're going to say? Yes. Well done. I hear you. Okay. That's, this is the hardest thing for us to get around sometimes is our own pride. Prayer in and of itself is an act of humility. Because you are acknowledging there are things beyond your capability, things beyond your will, things beyond your power, things beyond your grasp. So you are admitting through this act that there is a being that can obtain and achieve those things you cannot. That's why Paul says, continue steadfastly, which means Constantly. Continue constantly in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Contentment is a major theme throughout many of Paul's letters. This is one of my biggest struggles in life. Contentment. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. We talked earlier in this study what Paul meant by that. On account of which I am in prison. Hmm. Why is Paul in prison? For doing what he just told people to do. For doing what he just told people to do. I watched a video several years ago with Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, before he died. And he said that after doing ministry for decades all over the world, he found, their, their ministry found, maybe 2.5% of evangelical Christians will ever share their faith with somebody else. Now, you're an evangelical Christian. What's the, what's the root word of evangelical? Evangelize. Evangelize. Hide it under a bush. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that Great Commission poll that you yes. made, that blew my mind yeah. as a, a Catholic. Uh, uh, that, yeah. That blew my mind. Um. Oh boy, there's a, he has something to say to us for the era we are embarking upon as American believers today. With that statement right there, I am in prison for doing what I'm asking you to do, for taking the stand I'm asking you to take, which God is commanding you to take, Christ ordered you to do. I'm in prison for this. that you may have to get outside of your comfort zone. Raise your hand if prison is in your comfort zone. That's what I thought. I mean, that, that, is, that opening paragraph is antithetical to much of the American mind, even much of the American, contemporary American Christian mind as well, which is one of the reasons why we're being outworked and we're being outplayed here in the game of culture. 
We'll come back with more of this here in a moment. Stay tuned. Well, you know, if you listen to us on a regular basis, we're not big on excuses. We're not big on victimology around here. So when you have folks uh, doing whatever they can to come up with the latest innovations to make us healthier than we used to be, like our friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, no more excuses for, I, I just, you know, I, I, I couldn't eat my vegetables, you know, because, you know, God placed those things there for a reason. A lot of the vitamins, nutrients, you want to know one of the reasons why you have to buy so many vitamins nowadays? because you're not eating a lot of the fruits that God placed those vitamins in. Now, one of the reasons is food processing has removed a lot of that stuff, so food will stay fresher longer, okay? The other reason is we're just choosing not to. You know, we're, we're, we're eating, uh, you know, a lot of uh, highly processed foods, highly, uh, you know, foods that are uh, higher in carbs, but not necessarily the uh, healthier kind of carbs. So uh, if you want to put that back into your lifestyle, check out Field of Greens from Brickhouse Nutrition. Uh, one scoop in a cup of water, stir it in. I, I mix it even in with other drinks like my teas and stuff of that nature. Uh, and you're done. Uh, and you know, this is what you're looking for that you normally get from fruits and vegetables. Uh, all those antioxidants, the immunity boosters, uh, the, uh, prebiotic and probiotic power as well that helps the immunity system in the gut. You're going to find that, uh, with field of greens from Brickhouse Nutrition. You can go to brickhousesteve.com right now. And get 15% off of your first order with the offer code Steve. If your kids like like the mean green naked juices stuff, but you're like, I, I, first of all, those things are really expensive. Secondly, they're loaded with sugar. This actually tastes a lot like that without being loaded uh, in sugar. So check it out. BrickhouseSteve.com. 15% off of your first order with the offer code Steve at BrickhouseSteve.com. Uh, let's get back to finishing our study of the book of Colossians. Paul continues in verse five, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. All right, so um, these are themes we talk about that have been addressed elsewhere in the book of Colossians that we have talked about before. In fact, we actually talked about walking in wisdom toward outsiders in the first hour of the show when we, when we reset the debate about there's a difference between forcing pagans to suffer from the own, from the own fake standards they try to impose us to adopting their tactics and standards. Okay. One is an example of being wise as a serpent, but still innocent as a dove. The other is when in Rome, do like the Romans. All right. Paul is clearly saying when in Rome, do not do like the Romans. If, if he didn't, if he wanted you to do like the Romans, well, first of all, Paul was a Roman. Number one, he was a Roman citizen. Number two, as a Roman citizen, he was still where as when he wrote this jail, jail. So, um, yeah, the Roman citizen said, when in Rome, we don't get to do like the Romans. That's not, no, no, no. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Uh, redeem the time that you have. That's what he means by making the best use of the time you have on earth. Let your speech always be gracious. Well, Steve, that, that means we need to be nice all the time. Seasoned with salt. So he didn't say, let your speech be seasoned with salt. What is salt? It's an irritant. It's also a, meaning a good, good kind of irritant. It irritates uh, a wound in order to clean out an infection, for example. 
Okay. So he's not saying, you know, have, be, only be salty with your language, nor is he always saying only be gracious with your language. There is a balance here because the same guy that writes with great mercy also, as we have pointed out numerous times with numerous examples, can get pretty salty at the exact same time. Because what he's really talking about here, the first word, the first line of this paragraph said to do what? Walk in wisdom. Wisdom says this is a point, this is a time. Wisdom informs me, here's a time to be gracious. Wisdom informs me, here's a time to be a little saltier. For example, when my son talks back to his mom, that's a time for some salt. When my son doesn't have a good game and he makes a bad play in front of all of his teammates and all of their parents watching. Is that the time for me to come over the top rope like Ron did with me just about five minutes ago? No, that's a time to be gracious, right? Wisdom. Wisdom informs us when it is time for grace and when it is time for salt. You guys with me on this so far? Yep. You guys want to add anything to that? I'm good. Now we go to the final greetings. Now, I, I learned this trick from someone several years ago when you're not sure how to pronounce names, just say it like really confidently and everybody will believe that's how it's pronounced. Okay. Use the schwa sound a lot. <laughs> All right. Tychicus? That wasn't confident, was it? Tychicus! That was confident. Good grief. Do so I have a classic radio voice? God bless do these you. Jeans, uh, 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 do these jeans make my butt look you big? cloaked in failure. How's my breath right now? Okay. <laughs> Is my hair Okay. Uh, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus. My fellow prisoner gets you. That was more confident that time, wasn't it? You nailed it. All right, thank you. Uh, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and the Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, yes, that Luke, greets you, as does Demos. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see, you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see, to, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. That last line is like the the <laughs> it's like the 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 final line of if, if Christianity could be reduced to a hallmark card, 
Remember my chains. Grace be with you. There's a lot of second commandment in there. You shall not worship the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the chains. Yeah. Like there's a crucifixion before there is a resurrection. There's a Good Friday before there's a resurrection Sunday. That um, you have to have law and grace, grace and law. For the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This duality of, of what the tension of a Christian life is. Paul is in chains, but he still believes he is under grace and wishes you to be under grace as well. Because that is in the world and not of it. That is profound, really. But there's a lot else here happening in the preceding paragraphs. Who are these people? Some of these people, we don't know who they are. Tradition has some notions of who some of these people are. Um, We know who Luke the physician is. That's the guy who wrote the gospel of Luke. The name Barnabas comes up in other works. Onesimus comes up in other works. Demos comes up in other works. But there's, there's another, isn't there another Demos or maybe the same one who deserts him at another time? I think at the end of one of these letters, there, there, we, we often gloss over some of the stuff in the new Testament, the way we do the begats in the old Testament or the list of all the temple workers in the old Testament. Those are there for a reason. And it's not just to bore you. There's a, there's a practical worship happening here. I got an email. I'm going to share it tomorrow on Feedback Friday from a guy who has several challenges to our faith that he wants me to address. And we're going to address him on the show tomorrow. But one of the things he closes with is his belief that he is insignificant. Not everybody has the giftedness to stand in front of the church and preach. Not everybody has a wonderful singing voice. And what I think is one of the hidden gems of the scriptures is the painstaking way that God through his word has sought to preserve every last meaningful contribution, including from people and or in ways that humanly we would think are insignificant. Imagine you're a Jewish child and you're you're being taught, you're in Hebrew school and they're teaching you the Torah, they're teaching you the way, the law, the prophets, your history, your legacy. And this is hundreds of years after, the, after Solomon built the first temple. Imagine what it would be like when they run through those names of who built that temple. And you know that's your great, 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 great grandfather. Takes this from the theoretical and brings it home, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Makes it real practical when you start putting brick and mortar on things. And there's a reason these names are preserved. What Paul is telling you is, you know, I'm not the famous one here. 
these are all, and these names are preserved. These contributions are meaningful. If you think you have been largely forgotten, if you're working in ministry, and you're doing a thankless, what you think is a thankless job, you're, you're doing the, the kids' ministry at your church, and you got parents sometimes who drop the kids off and then don't even go to church. You've said nine times, hey, can you get your kid to stop acting up in Sunday school so the rest of the kids and the parents never pay attention? And you're like, nobody leaves me a bunch of gifts like they do the pastor at Christmas. Nobody pays attention to what we're doing here. You know, it's passages like this should be an encouragement and reminder to you. The one whose attention is the most important to have he knows. There is not an insignificant contribution in the kingdom of God. Every person who laid a brick at his temple, their names were preserved. Every single person that he could remember, recall, all of these letters end this way. These are all names that are etched in history. And I, I think that that's an important, that's a great way for us to close our study through this book. Because we have talked about a lot of deeply philosophical, theological notions. What is, what is Christology? Many of you probably hadn't even heard that term until we started studying this book. And I didn't, until I studied this book for the first time, I didn't know what the term meant. What did, Paul writes in really philosophical notions of the mystery of, of who Jesus was that is now being revealed through the ages. We've had a culture war fight. Don't allow yourself to be kept hollow and captive to, you know, empty human philosophy, this, the wisdom of this era, this age. And then at the end, what it really boils down to, though, is none of those things can happen and none of those things are more important than the people. That Jesus died for people. He didn't die for a theology. He didn't die for a philosophy. He didn't die for an ideology. He died for people. Jesus came for people. And that doesn't mean that those philosophies and ideologies and theologies that we discuss and debate are not important. They're eminently important. But they're not preeminently important. People are. Philosophies and ideologies are not given souls and made in the image of God. People are. And I think we need to be very careful, especially those of us that are concerned about the direction of the culture and are more intellectually and philosophically oriented and see the deeper-seated worldview issues that are at play here. That's both a blessing and a curse, and I say that from someone whose brain that the Lord wired that way. The blessing is you have a certain level of discernment. Maybe the average person who doesn't have that sort of wiring doesn't possess. On the other hand, it may make you colder and more callous towards the needs or even the presence of other people than the person whose brain isn't wired the same ways of yours. They don't struggle with that. Because here's the simple reality of this situation. 
aside from the fact we're sinners and we don't want to obey God. The number one reason that this culture has turned away from his word is because the church has sent the signal that it really doesn't care about people and it really doesn't have an answer to the things they truly care about. And you're not going to win any philosophical or theological argument or debate with someone who doesn't think you care about them. Or that you care more about what's happening here other than we're just having an argument or a debate. Gentlemen, you have any final thoughts? Got a few minutes left. That last couple of sentences probably should have been the truth bomb today. That's, uh, that, that, hits home that hits home quite a bit (laughs) i'm having flashbacks now of arguments i've had or picked or started that weren't really about anything other than i just want to be right i i just want to prove you right because if i'm right then you know that just means that that everything is better now and that um the rest of the culture is going to see the the, the, the rightness of me and how smart I am and my ideas are. That's that's maybe, again, hyperbolic as to what some people's motivations are, but I think that at least, I'll just speak for myself, at least for me, that's been, that's been uh, at least in some part, a part of my outlook on others. And it, uh, I don't know, it should convict you. It should convict you to the, to the core. What we're talking about here is what we've talked about uh, before in other contexts. It is the balance of justice and mercy. When that is in perfect balance, you see the face of God, and other people see it uh, through you. Uh, When you don't have it in perfect balance, you have what Steve was talking about. If it's uh, too heavy-handed on the justice, you... Uh, you have a sense uh, of uh, a tyrant or somebody who is non-caring, or if it flows too far into the set of mercy, it has a, it, 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 you don't have a sense of the brokenness that you have to answer for. Uh, we need to be hammering home this balance in everything we do, uh, political or otherwise, because, like I said, to do so is to see the face of God. I think we finished our live rates, didn't we? Nope, still got one more. Do we still have one more? Okay, because Ron said that in my ear. All right, I want to make sure I didn't miss one then. My bad. Um, I hope what we did here, you guys thought this was a worthwhile exercise. If you listened to this over the last few months, we greatly had fun with it. Um, If you're thinking of buying or selling a home this year, check out realestateagentsitrust.com, a company started by Glenn Beck and some of his friends who were tired of real estate agents who didn't didn't deliver the results that they uh, promised that they would ahead of time. They talked a good game, but in the end, the results weren't there. Now, what sets this apart from other referral services, though, is those are done to help um, real estate agents find clients. In this case, this is about empowering you, the client, to find the right agent, agents that have been vetted, that are transparent uh, and held accountable. Realestateagentsitrust.com. If you are buying or selling a home this year and you want to do it at the right time for the right price, check them out. Realestateagentsitrust.com. That'll do it for today's show. We are back at it again tomorrow. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.